From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! on CBS Sports. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. We're talking pro wrestling this week. Finally, your boy BC has come back to his own damn pod. In this Campbell podcast, I did make a little bit of a cameo, as you heard last week, with the Silver King and Outback Jack Crosby holding it down well. But, Biatch, you know what I want. I know what you want. I know what we all want. Bitch, you know what I want. We want to talk to Samson. People were doing that in Jamaica. I just want to let you know that, folks. It's still going on down there very prevalently. I did not take part in that Shiite. But we are back for a big-time podcast because wrestling is on fire right now when you're talking everything from AEW, NWA Power, WWE Proper, NXT. The list goes on and on and on. And boy, do we want to break it all down, including the escalations of the Seth Rollins, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend feud, the results of the WWE draft, and why? Let's face it, folks. Wednesdays are really what matter most, and I think you know that deep in your heart. Tuesday edition this week of the Wrestling Pod. Hey, we're going to try this out. We're not really sure when's the best time to do a wrestling podcast each week. How many podcasts would suffice the amount of wrestling that's out there? We're going to experiment. We're going to hunt and pack. We're going to go with the trends like all of you are as this wrestling war continues to roll on and escalate. But of course... Peace sells, but who's buying? It is a war. Believe that in your heart. Hey, let me bring in my co-host here. First of all, you know this man. He's hedged once or twice. He'll tell you he didn't, but he's ready to bring the thunder. Yes, WCW style. Say hello to the bad guy. Oh, yeah. He is a homeowner. He is a wrestling aficionado. He's the Silver King. Adam Silverstein. Hey, now, you know, BC, instead of going with the man who did such a great job filling in for me, the man who really took it upon himself to make sure you guys got a couple of great episodes, we got the man who hedged, you know, falsely. He hedged a few times. I mean, look, we are about yeah. truth on this podcast. I will tell you this, BC, uh, you know, I've filled in for shows before doing an incident analysis or something. It's great. The second time. When you actually sit in the big chair, it feels good. Oh, wow. Absolutely. Wow. Silver King getting, getting a little, uh, getting a little, uh, wow. Okay. Silver King held it down. It's up to you folks on whether you want to get in the Silver King podcast. Maybe that's the future. Maybe the future is Adam Silver King running the show in BC on the red and black. Jack, don't turn your back. <laughs> that's uh, the key. I, I will say this. Uh, there has never been that I can remember, and this includes bringing back Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff. This includes 
Daniel Bryan's return to the ring, all the news that's happened, at least in the two and a half years that we've done this show. I cannot remember a more newsworthy time. That doesn't mean it's all good, but a newsworthy time in professional wrestling than the last two weeks that we have had in terms of AEW, even NWA power to some extent, WWE going to Fox, the draft, uh, the Fiend Bray Wyatt stuff. There's a new video game that came out, WWE 2K20, that is apparently the worst wrestling video game of all time. It's like <laughs> you WWE can kill people can- with a book, Adam. You can sorcerize them on it. Like WWE apparently cannot do anything right. I do think they've done a couple things right, but they had a weird the- press part- conference on Friday. There's so much to get to, and you know, your Bob boy Aram, Bob Aram was on a WWE stage last Friday. Oh, uh, God, I know. Luckily, he didn't have any edibles on him. Um. Bob does get down at age 87. Indeed. I mean, good Lord. I ha- I just came off a stretch, Adam, where I probably watched the most amount of wrestling anyone's ever watched in a siphoned period of time. Post Jamaica, trying to catch up, trying to stay relevant, trying to stay with it. But not only did you hold it down while I was gone, I believe there was a, a third man. Is he the third man? He's the third man. What the hell is going on here? You know, Northeast Pennsylvania's own. Yingling strong. It's Outback Jack Crosby Jacko. Had to bring you back in the family. Thanks as well to you and SK for holding it down while I was gone. But boy, do we have a lot to talk about, Jackson. How you doing, my man? We got just a bit to talk about, my friend. I'm doing well yourself. I mean, you know, you know what people say about Jack. One of the best guys you'll ever meet. Huge hog, but well, some people, some people say that. I don't, I don't go that. I don't really go in that. Hopefully, direction. just one person right. says that. All right, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, many people can say that. That is, that is totally their call. You know, you want me to play gross sound drops all day? I can do that for you. I get down like that. You pay. You gonna come in my, on my bus all the no, time? No, 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 no. All right, guys. Um, so here's the deal. A lot of this is me catching up on things. You've already watched some, some things that have already been talked about on this show, but I think a lot of that connects to what we saw on SmackDown and Raw over the last three, four days. This is sort of going to be a throw it at the wall show, maybe one big long main event, but there is a lot we need to get into. And I think the biggest topic is as we record right now, before this week's Wednesday Night Wars of AEW, of NXT, of even NWA Power later tonight, it's really WWE heavy at the moment. It's not only the draft, but it's everything that's going on with the Fiend Bray Wyatt, Seth Rollins. Are we off the tracks? Are we on the tracks? Are we underneath the tracks? Is Sister Abigail burning to death under those tracks? What the hell's going on here? Let's just kick it right off, Adam, and get right into it how we like to. This is the main event. So, BC, what you don't know is, you know, obviously Jack and I, watched Hell in a Cell. We watched Raw the following night and we had our takes and our opinions and we were able to you know, shuffle those together back and forth. We got the chance to do it on the audio, on the instant analysis, and certainly on Slack and, and text and so on and so forth. So what was extremely entertaining to us was you like flying in with a three-way PM <laughs> and just like live instant BC analysis of every single thing that happened from Hell in a Cell. Raw, this is great. This is terrible. Oh my God. People are... This is so much smarter than people, you know, really think. They don't really know what they're booing. Brian, I want to almost put you on trial, give you the people's court treatment. Uh, yeah, all right. I'll accept that. Pausing, pausing for effect. There. You can't handle the truth. Son, my turn. I can see it. 
sitting here for 10 minutes now looking over this rap sheet. No sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. I'm ready to be acquitted. I'm ready to stand trial here and give you not only my initial take to that very controversial Hell in a Cell, but escalated all the way through to how we saw Monday Night Raw end this week, which was very Fiend Rollins heavy. And I think even before I give you the full Monty, and this will be the only part of the show that will be laborious. It'll be unscripted, Adam, to your to your, uh, oh, thank God, to finally. your point there. It'll be off the damn dome. But I did want to bring on Gentleman Jack here briefly. You heard his take up to this point, and Adam as well, if you want to jump in. But Gentleman Jack Crosby handled the Raw recap this week. I watched the end of it. It did somewhat affect my original take that I'm going to give you in a second. But I want you to just be able to sprinkle on briefly, Jack, because if anyone follows you on Twitter at JackCrosby1423, did I get that odd four yes, number sir. combination? There's still time to change that, Jack. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look at it. How about Jack Power? Any, anything like that? Yeah, um, there we go. Uh, you hated it. So I want to sort of get this angle complete before I come back at you and maybe, I don't know, maybe pull some organs in a, in a tub here and, and show you why you might be off. But this you're, seemed- not getting off, you're not getting off trial from your response to Helena. So I'm just letting you know, we can go to Jack. It's fine. We can have, to, we can have him talk about Raw. We can all talk about Raw. But we are talking BC's take on the Hell in a Cell main event. Hey, you're going to get it. Oh, my God. You're, there's things I'm going to do with that take, Adam, that you won't like. But we're going to stuff it down your throats. All right. But, Jack, what? I feel like you're ready to quit WWE and maybe wrestling altogether after what you saw Monday night. You know, I, I, I said it on Twitter last night. I'm... I'm usually generous with these, especially as of late, because you guys know me. Like every time I come on here, you know, I, I'm I'm the picture of optimism with these people a lot of times. Last night they killed my optimism. And when you say the these part. people with are, you talking main, about African American wrestlers? Where are you going with, with this, Jack? With the two main segments. Okay, okay. Just giving with you, the, just really giving you a chance to clear the air, and and you know, you know. There is no racism here in the World <laughs> Wrestling Federation. We don't allow it. We'll allow it under any circumstance. It was just, it was one of those frustrating three hours of Raw where with the draft and what we saw in the ring, like there's a bright future for this brand ahead. And I said that at the, I, I gave them credit that like there is a bright future for Raw, whereas we knew and we knew this was going to happen. They were going to stack SmackDown on Fox with the with most of the big stars, but then they were going to ha- have Raw, which is which has a nice plethora of a present talent, but especially the future talent that Paul Heyman could work with. But then they took the two main angles, which was the Fury Strowman contract segment, and then whatever that was at the end with the Firefly Funhouse and another person committing arson against Bray Wyatt, which I don't know why people <laughs> feel didn't go there like Randy did and now Seth did. And they were just both atrocious. Like Fury Strowman, like I said, I, I'm I'm all in on this. I love this. Well, hold off on Fury Strowman. And, I'm asking you about Fiend Rollins before I give you the full WWE Monty. draft. He's talking. Come on, Jack. End of the show. Firefly. Oh, BC asked me about Raw as a whole. I am shocked. I am shocked at your take that you hated Firefly Fun Out. I hated it. That this is doing. I said. I said in the beginning of my analysis, they should have just left well enough alone with these two. After hell. Now, even the attack on Friday, because it was a big show on Fox. Okay, that's fine. But then. Bray should have went this way. Seth should have went this way. And they should just cut their losses and said, all right, look, we screwed up. We're going to keep these two away from each other. Not only did they not do that, they doubled down by announcing the match for Crown Jewel 
And then that god-awful segment to end the show, which just came off as corny. And who let Kevin Dunn into the Firefly Funhouse? <laughs> who did that? Also, I have questions. Where is the fire? Is Seth going to tell us where it was? Like, where was this place? I think this it's whole next time? door to How the uh, House of Horrors, Jack. I think it's next door in Kansas City to the House of Horrors house when the refrigerator <laughs> fell on Randy. I think that's where it is. That's it. Randy, Randy tipped Seth off and said, hey, I think I know where this place is. All right. So from your perspective, whatever you hated about HIAC, this has now doubled down. And really, I wanted to give you the chance to say, does this ruin in your eyes before I stand trial? Really, everything that The Fiend has done up to this point and where it could be going. No, I, I don't ever go that far. Not ruin. Right. Uh, everything can be fixed. And Adam, I wanted to give you that chance. Where do you stand? Because I could give you different takes post Hell in a Cell and certainly post Raw on Monday. So up until the end of Monday night's show, I was down on The Fiend in terms of my thoughts on basically how WWE was going to go forward with it. They drafted him to SmackDown. They're continuing the storyline with Rollins on Raw. There's two things that changed my mind. One is that they made a huge point during the show yesterday to talk about a blockbuster trade following the WWE draft that they're going to announce on WWE Backstage Tuesday night, airing on FS1 after the ALCS. I am of the belief that involves Bray Wyatt going coming back to Raw and then you know, Raw sending a couple people over to SmackDown. I don't know what the machinations of that are going to be, but that's what I believe. So, one, I think he's coming back, which closes the loophole of Raw guy versus SmackDown guy for a title at a pay-per-view, even if it's blood money in the sand for. Number two, we talk all the time about wanting to keep the curiosity about the Firefly Funhouse and Bray Wyatt and his character real. It wasn't just Seth Rollins invaded an area, a space, and beat up Bray Wyatt and tore apart furniture and burned it down. And that's why it was fire. He burned it down. Randy Fire, weird. Seth Rollins, it's the gimmick. They finally Randy Fire, cool. Everything Randy Orton does is cool. They finally paid it off with actual fire for Seth Rollins, okay? So that is what that was about. In terms of Firefly Funhouse, they're not saying it's a specific location. Bray Wyatt in that segment played it off as, how did you find me? How are you here? This doesn't make any sense. Almost like Seth invaded his headspace or there's something mystical and crazy and nutty going on. And that's why I didn't like the end of Raw. I loved the end of Raw. Yes, Silver King. It brought me back into The Fiend after they said, hey, The Fiend, this guy who's unstoppable, he just got stopped by Seth Rollins. They gave you a a BS finish and they, they decided to tint the ring red and do all the worm crap from WrestleMania, whatever number, 33 or... Whatever, whatever that feel that Silver King and and after we did this to you, you know what? We're gonna rectify it by finding some way to fix this angle. I do not believe the Firefly Funhouse is gone. Maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe Bray Wyatt has another type of show or figment of his imagination that he comes with now that Funhouse is burned down. Let's say it is. So I have more optimism than ever in the Fiend, not less, and I'm very excited for this match, even though. It's at Crown Jewel, Blood Money in the Sand 4, and because it's false count anywhere, it's probably not going to be good. But they actually got me back. Hold on, can I pause to pop for this? <laughs> Silver King back on the right side of history, back in my DMs here. We're on the same side after what happened Monday. 
But now I want to tell you overall what's really going on. And I liked hearing the two different perspectives from you about where we're at and how we got here. I came at Hell in a Cell from a much different perspective than you guys did. Coming off a vacation, hearing there's a lot of buzz, all the DMs, all the at mentions on Twitter, the damn text messages from the people close enough to me, the emails of BC. Not only do you got to see how WWE ruined The Fiend and Rollins and everything going on at Hell in a Cell, but holy crap, here's my take on it. I not only saw the 90% of people hating on it, I saw the 10% of sort of the hipster comebacks of, wait, hold on. This might actually be brilliant, and here's why. This was before I even sat down to watch it. So it certainly is a different perspective than coming into that pay-per-view thinking, I'm getting a traditional pro wrestling title match, and then that's where it ended up. Does that make me more woke? Does that make me less woke? I'm not really sure in the end. I go to watch it. I think it's freaking brilliant. I'm not trying to come here to be hip. Not trying to come here to be anti, to be the other side of it, to give you the first take other side of the debate. But there's some foundational things you have to understand to begin to understand what happened at Hell in a Cell and what that told you about where this could be going, the level and depths of storytelling that they might be attempting. And yes, I would have come in there guns blazing post Hell in a Cell and been like, guys, you missed it. This is actually brilliant. Will they execute it to the potential they can? Probably not, but they will. Since then, they have certainly dropped the ball in some key areas. Number one being, how do you come back the next night on Monday? Have almost no mention of it. Bury it in the middle of the show. Don't have a response from Seth or Bray. And then the almost double down kick in the nuts for me is have Seth Rollins come back on Friday SmackDown. Act like nothing happened. Go into a match that is meaningless for the first pick of the draft. And I know they Bray comes through the canvas, and that, that wasn't that all that bad to me. But the whole idea that Seth can continue his life and we can be like, yeah, I know this guy almost tried to kill, kill me, and I came back and tried to murder him, but I'm going to pause that for the damn draft. There's things like that that are unforgivable. There's elements even of Monday night that I didn't love. But at its foundation and core, guys, Sunday was freaking brilliant. And there's one person that sort of opened my eyes to the possibility of how and why it could be. And I read this shortly after watching it. Adam, you know this listener that doesn't get a lot of play on our show or a lot of love at Donald Weber, Donald Weber Jr. Yes. He's an actor. Very, he's on Broadway. He's, yeah, I was going to say, I believe he's on Broadway. Yeah. Is he on Hamilton? I mean, he, this guy, this guy is a real player, loves our show. He had hit me up fairly early minutes after hours after Helena Cell and was like, hey, man, I know people are, you know, hitting up your timeline and all that. But check out this thread from at Rob Observer. Jacko, you you familiar with this account? I had never heard yes, of it. Yes, I am. Going in Rob Observer. I don't know if yep. you guys read this thread, but a real brilliant thread from October 7th. I encourage you to check it out. In which he really starts to break down, like, hey, guys, I don't know if you're looking into this deep enough, but really there's like a redemption thing going on. And Bray is really attempting to do something with Seth's heart to change him. And this was sort of some of the foundational core of the feelings I got watching it live. And then I, I even took my expectations and hopes a lot deeper from what Rob Observer said. But I do want to sort of shout that out for, for putting me on this track and angle. Right away when I saw the red dim lights, like you guys, I realized this was different, right? It takes you back to Kane. This was different. It looked brilliant. I already loved the red cage. So adding that just showed you that this is not a traditional title match. And you've got to understand a, a couple certain things right off the top. One, 
Bray Wyatt, the fiend, does not care about the WWE Championship, never will, and in many cases, never should. Two, Bray Wyatt, the fiend, is supernatural, next level, Michael Myers, uh, movie villain, almost cannot be killed. And I thought Seth nailed that on Monday in that backstage interview, kind of expressing that to anybody who didn't get it. So right away, guys, we have to pause our traditional sense as wrestling fans and say that this is next level. This is Papa Shango. There's, I, look, my choice, you know it, is pro wrestling, not sports entertainment. I want NJPW. I want things to look and feel real like it's a pseudo MMA match. But WWE has cornered the market and owned this genre a long time for a reason. They dip into sports entertainment, and sometimes they go all the hell in, and when they do it right, they know what the hell they're doing. They knew what the hell they were doing that Sunday night by dimming the red and by giving you something that was so left field. So you have to start at the core and say, it's not about the title. Bray is unbeatable right now from the human sense. He's Michael Myers. Like, you're probably not going to be able to kill him. But if he wanted to have won that title, he would have. And he would have done it quickly. But there's something deeper going on here. The way that they played that out and the way they told that story through Seth's facial expressions and through sort of that spark that had begun being lit during the Braun Strowman feud, by the way, where Seth really started to use chairs and really started to get a little bit evil. And you remember afterwards was like, you know, I don't want to wrestle him again. I don't want, you know, that's something that Rob Observer pointed out, that change in the heart. So to have a heel villain of this level of the fiend, which Jack, you called what? Uh, Transcendent. Transcendent. Somebody that's going to equal or even extend past the impact that like an Undertaker had. And that's big words. But the presentation to start for Bray Wyatt the Fiend has been a grand freaking slam at every turn. We accept that and we acknowledge that. So if anyone's going to be extra special in this setting, it's going to be him. The story that they told, that it wasn't about that match anymore, and that it was about Bray Wyatt the Fiend seeing something in Seth, which is the evil that we all have seen in the past. He turned on his best friends for the chance at power and glory. He's basically Judas in this biblical story. And the reason why I use the word biblical, because pro wrestling at its core is the purest form of good versus evil storytelling. I think that's why most of us cling to it deep in our hearts. It's so basic, good guy and bad guy. That's the damn Bible. That's Star Wars. That's everything that we love in terms of art and the foundations of who a lot of us are. So Bray Wyatt is Satan. The Fiend is basically Satan, right? Okay. Here, for one time, for one time on this show, I'll play the heel. I'll play the heel part. I think both of you are wishful thinking. Right All right. Now. Well, I'm not even. I'm not even credit. there yet, I guys. I don't think any of this is going to happen. All right, watch this. I'm not even there I yet. I don't want to conflate. I don't want to conflate two things. Me liking Monday doesn't change Jack how I felt Sunday in our incident analysis. So let's not conflate things. Number one. Number yeah. two. I want to hear BC finish because I'm I'm taking notes. And I already have three holes to counter-argue you. So, so here going. we go. I'm still basically building the foundation of why Sunday Hell in a Cell may have been a home run. There were elements, teases, of where this story could go, guys, that gave me the kind of, like, we don't give WWE the credit to try to plan something out like this because they don't try this type of shit. They really haven't since the 80s. And the foundation back then was was different. You could sit at the pool with Pat Patterson and plan out the next year in advance because that's how it worked. You had a week-to-week show and you had three pay-per-views and that's it. It's harder to do that in 2019. But this is one of those moments where I think we missed it, or a lot of people missed it, because we don't expect that from them. So let me tell you the story that they could be telling, 
and that maybe they should be telling Jack, jump in. You're Jack, you're gonna have a fit. Here's here's the difference. Here's the main difference and what really kills this for me, BC. You are right. Back to the 80s at storytelling. Except the people liked the baby faces in that role. Nobody likes Seth Rollins in this baby but, face. All role. right, here we go. Let me pause that. You're you're damn right. So here we go. So I think that people missed what the booing actually was on, on Hell in a Cell. And I went back and watched it a couple of times. The booing, you, yes, you did see some middle fingers and booing of this sucks. What people booed was they thought Seth Rollins was going to get the Roman Reigns Cena comeback. And every yeah. time he yeah. hit a yeah. stomp, they went insane. And every time Wyatt got up or, or no sold it, they came back to earth. But again, we have to get out of our core of this being a wrestling match because here's the deal. Seth, Bray Rollins, the, Bray Wyatt, the fiend is basically Satan. Okay. He looks at Seth Rollins as somebody who's a, a faker. Right. Bray Wyatt has come back from something. Randy Orton burned down his whatever. He had shit booking. He never became what he was supposed to be. He went away for a while. Something happened to him. He's either in a mental hospital or this whole Firefly Funhouse is just in his head. And maybe it's like fight uh, like uh, uh, fight club or like 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 Adam has yeah. made the connection yeah. to Mr. Robot, that kind of stuff where it's all mental. So he has deeper and extra powers than he's ever had before. And he's not coming back for a title. He's coming back. For, to steal souls, but for a reason, for power. He wants to convert people to what he's doing to control them and be the leader. And, and it's basically Star Wars. Like, basically, he's Emperor Palpatine of Star Wars, okay? Why did Palpatine go after Anakin Skywalker? Because he realized, I can change this guy's heart. There's a dark side to it. This is what he's seeing right now in Seth Rollins. His goal is to turn him evil. He doesn't care about the title. He wants Seth to eventually work for him. But the key question here is why. And the why part is why this is brilliant and why this can actually become a two to three year story arc if done right. To have an all time great villain badass of this level. Why do you have great villains? For the hero to overcome, right? If you don't, you don't have a great, great hero unless you have a great, great villain to make it work worth it. Guys. It this is all about Roman Reigns, but in a good way, in a great way. Why? Because Roman Reigns right now is as pure a wrestling character outside of the ambulance vehicular manslaughter attempt on Braun Strowman, which we are trained now to forget, that we have ever seen in a while. He also just beat cancer. He's basically Jesus Christ as a wrestler in the terms of good versus evil that we are playing out right now, okay? So who's Seth Rollins? He's Judas. Who's Bray Wyatt? He's the damn devil. So if I'm booking the damn territory, you know what's happening next? Seth is getting turned to the dark side. Remember when he used to have that blonde streak in his hair? He's basically going to shave the sides of his head, have a half blonde streak, and wear these contacts that make his eyes look crazy. Remember when Alex Wright turned into Berlin in WCW? Jack, I know you remember that. And it was brilliant, but nobody cared. Seth Rollins is going to come back to probably the best manifestation of himself as a heel that we've ever seen. Because here's the reality. Seth Rollins as a baby face sucks. It's okay for a while, but long-term it sucks. He can't act. He can't deliver a promo. And we've seen the same matches over and over again. They are going to turn Seth heel as part of Bray's army. And next year's WrestleMania main event needs to and should be evil Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns. But the reality is that Roman isn't really fighting Seth. He's fighting Bray. 
And in the long run, two WrestleManias from now, that's when you finally get Roman Reigns versus the most evil and well-built-up character in the history of time. Basically, Satan himself, Bray Wyatt the Fiend. But the road to get there will see Bray Wyatt revisit the people who have done him wrong. Seth Rollins have done him wrong around the way. But he knows Seth Rollins is really weak inside and he can change him to the dark side. Randy Orton is a score he's going to settle along the way. Bray Wyatt, the damn Bludgeon Brothers. We're going to see all of that play out. And it's going to lead at the end of the road to Roman basically going up against the greatest challenge ever. You're going to have to stick to that storyline and believe in it. Because as you saw, Bray Wyatt the Fiend is Michael Myers. You, You can't beat him with five spears, right? You can't beat him with a couple Superman punches. It's going to take such high level of mental manipulation and and sort of breakdown that if they go the distance on this level of storytelling, and I feel like they're teasing that they might, there's some long-term brilliance. Bray's going to have a stable at sometimes. He's going to control the minds of people at sometimes. And it's all going to play into Roman Reigns really finally getting over on a really good level because he's going to have to be a little bit cooler. To, to really make this work in the long run. And I saw all of that while watching the end of Hell in a Cell. I saw such <laughs> a, I'm telling you to go back and watch it and forget what you think about right. how the hell is, is Seth going to pin him if he kicked out a 17 or if, you know, stomps and he got back up because we're not talking anymore about pro wrestling guys. We're talking about a Papa Shango story. We're going all in on this. So, so we don't trust WWE to properly book a ready-made Ronda Rousey-Becky Lynch storyline for WrestleMania. We don't trust WWE to properly book an AJ-style Samoa Joe or AJ-style Shinsuke Nakamura storyline across two, three, or four pay-per-views. But we're going to believe that based on a Hell in a Cell main event that got trashed by the fans, not booed because they didn't understand it, trashed because of the way it was booked, that WWE is booking nine months, 18 months, or 24 months into the future with Bray Wyatt, who, yes, they're buying into now, but they've never bought into long-term because they're going to wait two years or even 12 months to get Roman Reigns over. Well, Brian, well Adam, it's not about Pat, let's fix in. Roman Reigns. It's about who's the only babyface in storyline that could beat a guy like this. It's For going to be reason. Roman Reigns. And by the way, he's going to be tempted along the way, just like Luke Skywalker was, just like Jesus Christ was. Guys, they're telling the greatest story ever told. They really are. They've got you this potential. Want, you think WWE is, gonna, is going to not just start but finish a one- to two-year Jesus versus the devil storyline? Brian, that's not going to happen. I hope to God it well, does because what you just laid out is next level booking and would be it would restore faith in WWE that none of us have had in an exceedingly long period of time. But what you said and what actually happened are two completely different pause things. One the second. Reason- pause one second. That is one of the worst things that you've ever said on this podcast. You- the reason why, Brian, we didn't hear about Bray Wyatt seeing the evil in Seth Rollins and trying to manifest it out of him is because they didn't do that. He didn't say that in the multiple promos that he had leading up to their actual match. They didn't show the their hand at him. The reason why we didn't buy Seth and his facial expressions is because Seth Rollins is no Shawn Michaels. We've spoken to Shawn Michaels. We've watched Shawn Michaels for decades. They are not comparable. And whereas if you had Shawn Michaels in that match against an Undertaker, against a Kane, you would believe it. With Seth Rollins, he's not good enough to make you believe the things 
that you want to put on him. The reason why the stomps were creating the fan reaction, it had nothing to do, and that is an amazing We the People shirt that you just uh, revealed. Still wearing from yesterday, yes. Completely breaking up while I'm on a roll, just showing up on a We the People shirt, taking the sweater off. Okay, the reason why the stomps created the atmosphere that they did is because WWE booked it that way. They could have had a variety of other things rather than hit the stomp on him 11 different times. All right, I want to pause you there. I no, no, no. By things. doing that, they were giving him the Roman Reigns. No, speech. see, Adam, you missed that. You, you even and the if crowd they weren't going to pay it off. And Brian. I'm not mad at you for missing that. And I'm not. And I'm look. I'm not going to 100 say if I didn't, I didn't watch that live, I wouldn't have missed some of that too. But I think the red presence on that screen had to show you we're doing something different. A lot of the little nuggets of storytelling had to tell you we're doing something different. This wasn't Roman Reigns. The crowd fell into that idea. Because they thought it was going to end in a Seth pin. But you have to realize what actually took place there. Now, one, I don't want you to fully put words in my mouth here. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Obviously, WWE basically is doing everything else wrong right now. And we're going to get into that. But they're doing, in my eyes, on a main roster level, everything else wrong right now. Could I possibly have the confidence? No. But I will say, even all the way through the end of Monday Night Raw this week, I think the train's still on the track for this type of storytelling in the long run no hell no i don't believe they're gonna get there how i just laid it out but those are the feels i got adam watching hell in a cell happen for the first time in front of my eyes they didn't do the roman reigns thing they teased that it might happen they told a much deeper better darker storyline and i don't know how you can't pick that up by watching rollins face and seeing that he woke up in that moment adam and said to himself this is not a human I cannot beat yeah. this guy, so I need to try to kill him. And by doing that, he basically sold his soul to the devil. And now, do you know what's going on? What we saw on Monday night? And you kind of nailed it off the start of the show. That didn't really happen. That happened in the spirit realm of Seth Rollins going into the funhouse because the funhouse isn't real. It's inside of Bray's mind. So Seth just turned to the dark side. Now I can't wait to see what happens next. Okay, so that part of it you're not necessarily wrong about. But the only reason it wasn't complete 100% Roman Reigns booking is because he didn't ultimately get the pinfall. But they still built it that way. And they elicited by their booking a crowd reaction that took Seth, who maybe they will be turning him heel in the future, but he is not the heel in that match, and he is not the heel right now. They took their top face for their Raw brand, and they, again, just like with Roman Reigns, booked him nearly as poorly as possible. They could have gotten to the same end of that match and tell the same story that you think that they want to tell by a variety of ways. They could have had Seth pull an Undertaker Mick Foley and throw him off the cell. They could have had Wyatt beat Rollins so bad that the referees had to stop the match. Instead, they gave us the one booking, the hero trying to overcome this insurmountable, you know, devil, uh, demon character that is just, not he's non-human and he can't be stopped to such a way that it and, and and eventually Brian by the way laying him out to the point where he couldn't do anything the fiend that they made Seth Rollins look strong when he shouldn't look strong All whether right. demented whether really his mind happened? is getting warped or not can I tell you what really happened the fiend who's in his second match in WWE I didn't miss it can I tell you what really happened there the fiend wasn't it. down and out the fiend could have got up at any point The Fiend was allowing Seth to do that so Seth would sell his soul in that moment. It's Star Wars 101. They're not giving us the the dark equivalent 
of Obi-Wan Kenobi laying down in episode four and saying, Darth, kill me now because I'll be so much stronger in the afterlife. It's You're the, creating it's a brilliant. good story. You're creating a good story around what was done. And with They're all due respect, story. you missed it in that moment by being too hung Ryan, up on Ryan, the stomps Ryan. when the stomps needed to be there to actually tell the story of Bray being non-human. You're doing WWE's job for it. You're creating a story around the finish either to make you like it or to not hate it as much as other people. Had they come out Monday and had Bray do Firefly Funhouse and said, do you see what I brought out in you? I was laying in wait. I was letting you get your aggression out on me. Brian, I would agree with you. I would say, you know what? In the moment, I hated it. They fixed it Monday. They're not telling us that story. Well, they did kind of come back this Monday. They had You're creating that story, Brian. You are. You're doing their job for them. Well, no, that's what I took from watching it on Sunday night. Again, I laid out how I had a different viewpoint, how I came into this. I heard a lot of the talk. I heard a lot of the takes. I sat down and watched that. It's kind of what I saw. And I think they had to go to those extremes to tell an extreme story. And you got to get out of the mindset that we're still in a championship match. We're, no, we're well past that. And why was it for the title? Because that's the, 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 the foundation and structure, because that's what WWE does. You fight for a title. Bray's doing something different. He's trying to manipulate Seth and change him so he can take down Roman. Who's Bray's ultimately his most heated rival? Roman Reigns. That's, Anyone that's, but you, Roman. Right. Here's one thing this reincarnation of Bray Wyatt has taught me. Maybe you guys don't remember, because I've had to remind a few people already. After WrestleMania 31, not just Meltzer, who I give a, PW and everybody, there was one report that made the rounds after everyone was very pissed off that Bray was fed to The Undertaker. They said, look, it's okay because Vince McMahon's plan for the next decade, decade, is to build his company around Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt. Those are That's his rocket Austin of this decade. And Bray's reincarnation, right, where he just, no matter what, Bray always gets... That's his rock and Austin of this decade, Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt. It's just that for one reason or another, misstep here and there, injury here or there, they haven't been able to do it like they've wanted to. Like these two haven't even had a WrestleMania match, and I'm sure that between 2015 and now, Roman and Bray would have had a Mania match by now if all the pieces could have just fallen into place. They would have had at least one. Because those are Vince's two guys. You're going to have your guys step in like a Seth Rollins and AJ Styles. They're going to come and go, but everything in this company for at least the next few years and maybe even beyond, will always lead back to Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt. Anyone but you, Roman. Two two things. One, you're taking a single report and believing it. Not a single. I just said it was more. It was PW Insider. It was, yeah, they all said, look, Vince has off. this in his head. Oh, but when Meltzer says something that that appeases to you, you take it as gospel. Oh, not at all. I say, You hey, do all the time. Jack, I say, hey, Meltzer reported this, so you know. You have told me multiple times. It's Dave. He knows what he's doing. That well, he does true. know what he's doing. So now I bring I up a report. PWI, Jack, PW Insider knows what they're doing, too. There's a lot of good, really good reporting. You're talking about something I that happened it. four years ago. They did such a poor job building Roman Reigns as a face that you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah. There's, now you're buying into BC's theory that, oh, yeah, they're still doing that. And, yes, well, they still come, again, still coming back BC's to those theory two, no is hopeful. BC's theory is hopeful. We'll probably never get there, and there's some more problems with it. It's the fact that they gave away some very, 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 very key plot and storyline developments during the Randy Orton Bray Wyatt feud that if we had never seen those would really tell the story in the end because if you cannot beat Bray Wyatt by pinning him because he's next level he's a superhero villain how do you beat him well you defeat the source of his power 
So I know we're getting way deep into the supernatural weeds here, but had we never seen Randy Orton burn that thing down and had that feud, which started off great and, of course, was a train wreck by the end, that's how Roman in the end will and should be able to beat this dark demon Bray Wyatt. But, Adam, I I don't see how you couldn't see Hell in the Cell and realize they're trying something massive here, and they kind of nailed it. They built the foundation for it. They tried to do something, and they did a poor job doing it. It was brilliant. Go back and watch the timing. And I don't know why you're singling me out when it is – I try not to have commonly held held opinions. But the majority of people understood what they were doing, Brian, and didn't like it not because it was a false finish, not because it was a title match in the red light. You can criticize that. That's aesthetics. But because of how it was actually booked in the ring. It was poorly done. They made Rollins into a Reigns without putting him over the fiend and they're taking heat Adam, away. They didn't the make him into a range. He didn't win the match. So it kills your theory. He, no, you know what they not, did? They made him into no. a regular person who got into such a crazy fight and was so confused by what's happening because he's not fighting another human that he, he went, he uh, activated I, the deep Brian, darkness turned, in his soul. Let me, let me clarify. Let me clarify. They turned the crowd by teasing Reigns booking. In doing so, right, they turned the crowd against I, They had the crowd in the palm of their hand reacting to everything they did. Now Seth Rollins is getting booed more than he ever has. Right. See, I don't Why? Think because he's going heel. So this is brilliant, Adam. See, uh, no, see, I agree with it. I, I, this is where I got to side with Adam on this 100%, just like I did after the show, and I will right now. I'll side with Adam on this. Like, we're, we're taught in wrestling matches to follow the stories, the storytelling. Problem with Hell in a Cell is the story that I was following – wasn't Seth Rollins and Bray Wyatt. The story I was following was the crowd. Yes. Out in California. And the story they were telling me and Brian, it was like they, you could you could almost feel the life getting sucked out of them as I, they're watching. I Seth encourage you to go back. Jack. Roman Reigns type. It was booking. Well, I encourage you to Reigns go back life. and watch it because yeah. here's the deal. They were booing heavily, but they were booing heavily every time they thought Seth was going to win the match. Why? Because if Bray loses that match right there, it kills the character. We're done. We're yeah. done with The Fiend mattering. And right. by the way, I'd even go as far as arguing if The Fiend wins the title there. We're not dead, but there's not a whole lot you can do after that. It would have been too soon. But so in the end... The That's crowd the was point, reacting Brian. each time they thought they were getting traditional booking. This was nothing traditional about it. Every time Wyatt came back, they cheered again. And you know what happened in the end? The best thing that ever could have happened to Wyatt. Like, it, the titles don't matter. He's about taking souls. This is great. Th- that's what you're not, I think, understanding that Jack and I are saying. They A, it was Roman Reigns-like booking. B, they turned the crowd. C, after turning the crowd, they gave a false finish to a Hell in a Cell match. The crowd thought it was DQ. It wasn't. It was, you know, just a referee calling it. But but they gave the crowd on a pay-per-view that they had only had three announced matches going in. They gave them a false finish to that match that, A, they didn't need to do a title match. Whether, whether you want to believe, you know, he needs the title, he doesn't need the title, he should have won, he shouldn't have won the title. They didn't need to put him in a title match where in WWE, if you're in a title match, generally, yeah, there are DQs, but it's winner or loser, right? And the, and the Fiend is such a strong character that against anyone in his second match, he's only had one, he beat the absolute hell out of Finn Balor. You expect him to win that match. So they shouldn't have put him in a title match or any match, really, if they weren't going to have him win 
or go over. What Vince thought is by him sitting up after that beatdown and putting the mandible claw in Rollins' mouth, making him bleed and coming out on top at the end of the show, that they were putting the Fiend over. What the crowd saw because of the Roman Reigns-like booking, what they thought they saw, and, and I understand you disagree with this, was them burying the Fiend to prop up Rollins unnecessarily, and then with the crowd already turned against WWE, they're booing Rollins because they're against WWE. They then gave them a false. They then gave them a false finish to end the show. But you know what they gave them? A giant opening to a story. They gave them a murder scene. They gave them the kind of storytelling that you don't see in traditional matches. So I get that the audience. Not hearing the commentary. And by the way, I actually thought the commentary nailed it by being so like, oh, my God, like we have no idea what's going on here. Like they really set up the perfect cliffhanger again. The problem is they not only didn't cash it in on Monday, they come back Friday with Rollins all happy. Like it's it's absolute crap in that regard. But the it's OK to send the fans home going. I don't really know what the hell happened. And if they didn't get it in that moment and they have to go back and rewatch the network. That's there's actually a level of yeah. brilliance to that, but you but, have to cash it in. So what we saw this Monday, we should have seen the night after. But BC, the pro- here's the problem. What you're, like I get what I get what you're saying, especially to the point of sending the crowd home, going I don't know what happened in the year 2019. Though those people don't leave that building with that feeling. They leave the building with the feeling of I know what happened. That's the problem. And they're they're tweeting about Uh, it, and they're complaining about it, and they're chanting refund, and they're chanting restart the match. Brian, I'm going to say it right now. You all missed it. You all missed it. And that's that's fine. I've missed a lot of things, too. I hope I I do. Brian, I I hope I missed it. But what we're telling you is that WWE had 12,000 fans or 14,000 or however many in a very well-sold arena in a very big WWE town. For a pay-per-view that they only advertised really three matches that ended up being a pretty good pay-per-view um except for that you know whether you liked it or not they gave them a main event they did not want and did not think they were expecting and they lost them and they angered a lot of people you can debate whether they're right or wrong again but they, they don't lose. have camera angles there's 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 i found this out so many times by covering all combat sports but specifically pro wrestling you can only watch what you can watch through your eyes. There are stories that are told through announcements. How many NXT TakeOver matches have we been to where I was like, I don't know if that was five stars. I didn't really hit me. Then you watch more Ronaldo. Then you watch the zoom in on Johnny Gargano's face as he's on his knees. And you're like, holy shit. They are telling a next level story. Adam, in the crowd, they can't get that. I don't see if you were watching at home, and we all were, how you could not come out of there going, so they're going, there's something happening here. They're going deep. We cannot use a practical reasoning and analysis for this because what we saw was batshit impractical. But they're using the only person in Bray Wyatt to whom A, it would make sense, and B, we could have a modicum of optimism that they are going somewhere because of how brilliant the Firefly Funhouse and The Fiend has been presented. So yes, half the arena missed it. The other half were caught up on the Oh my God, are we getting a Reigns thing? We didn't get the Reigns thing. I get being confused in the crowd. Is there a finish? What's going on? But if you're watching at home and you're watching the story that they told through the camera angles, through the facials, through the commentary, it was brilliant and it was something different. And we're telling WWE in 2019, like, if you're not going to do what we really want, which is to get real again, 
then give us storytelling. Give us layering. Give us Easter eggs. Give us a reason to believe. How do you not leave Hell in a Cell thinking they could ruin it tomorrow, but I got a reason to believe right now that the greatest story ever, 3.0, is coming at me? The man whose name is on the marquee gets the last word today. I'm Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins. We have plenty of State of Combat Professional Wrestling podcasts left. But before we get to it, folks, we got to hear a quick word from our friends and sponsors. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Okay, BC, we're back. And for having so much to talk about, about a week in professional wrestling that you missed and have just caught up on, we just spent an hour relitigating Hell in a Cell. We spent 45 minutes. What we did was we escalated it based on what happened on Monday, and you heard my take. And look, this is the biggest story in pro wrestling as we sit down and record this right now. I, I do not disagree with you, and I thought it was a fantastic conversation. But what listeners of this podcast, I think, badly want to hear from you, Mr. Combat Sports Aficionado, is your thoughts on WWE not only bringing in Kane Velasquez, but also bringing in Tyson Fury to WWE programming. And what I want to do, I want to separate them, BC, because I think they deserve to be in their completely different storylines, primarily because I know... Primarily because I know you, like Jack and I, may have been excited to see Cain Velasquez, but hated the way WWE got there with Brock Lesnar beating Kofi Kingston in seven seconds. Yeah, so well, talk to me what went through your mind watching that entire thing transpire. I think this is all connected. My reaction to both Fury and Kane and the way they've been presented, the addition of Kofi into this conversation, and really the overall feel of the draft and where we are going on main roster as we enter week three of this new era of competition coming off. And I didn't get to break this down the last time because I didn't seen it yet. A friggin fantastic second episode of AEW and a promo from Jericho that I think showed you where they are headed and where they should be headed and where that's going. So what does WWE do? Here's the problem. The biggest news of all of this, bigger than AEW, bigger than NXT going to USA, we nailed it off the start, is SmackDown going to Fox. This is the biggest opportunity to take this genre, put it back into the living rooms of the everyman, unlapse the lapsed fans, and yes, shout out to the lapsed fan podcast, Jack and JP. Damn, are they brilliant at what they do. Um, and And really just get us into that third boom period. I think we're already there. Guys like Meltzer think... We're not there, and we probably won't get there due to oversaturation. Really, the whole thing about the revolution, the third boom period, you could argue many ways that when it started, or are we there and all that. But with this said, that's the most important thing. So when you look at it on paper, God, they're bringing Tyson Fury, who's right in his prime right now and has a giant rematch with Deontay Wilder coming up in February, a dual network pay-per-view, provided Wilder beats Luis Ortiz first in November. And Kane Velasquez, we're getting Brock Kane too. Like Things that we talk about in passing, like, man, imagine if they did that. So, like, in on the, on the surface, you're like, yeah, right, WWE, this is good. This is how you go after the casual fan. The problem with all of that, connected with the draft, connected with the real four or five inexcusable scabs that I've seen, 
oh, since I've rewatched everything in the past few days, and, and it was a long, arduous task, is that they don't get it. Right now, WWE Vince McMahon, we had given them an, a sort of extra level of hope and optimism and confidence and said, okay, we'll put up with the last six months because we know we're building for something bigger. We're building toward the draft. We're building toward this and that. But if they're going to make SmackDown matter on this new network in everyone's lives, dude, they're going to have to step up the storytelling. My choice would be to go to an NXT AEW 2019 wrestling style. In the end, we know Vince isn't going to do that. What they're doing is not going to work. I'm not saying AEW is going to catch them in the ratings or even large enough on the critical mass to make this a true war. I hope they do. I don't know if they will. We're talking about a WWE financial machine that's so freaking next level that could blot out a lot of sins. But I hate pretty much everything they're doing right now. And there are certain unforgivable sins that begin and end with Kofi Kingston, who know I didn't really, I, I was like a hater at every turn. People know this. I've been called a racist in DMs. People know this. I thought Kofi was a phenomenal one-time story. Every pay-per-view match from there, I'm like, okay, it's time to change the belt. And you know what happened? My heart got changed every time because he put on hellacious matches. He held up his end of the bargain as a champion, and he told a larger story over six months or however long it lasted that you want to talk about inspiration to African-American wrestlers, fans, to, as Kofi told me many times, it's not an African-American story, it's an everyone's story. To anyone who feels like they never got their due, they told a badass story. They they pulled the plug on that story in five seconds. Yep. And we talked about that, Brock going over, if you're going to go on Fox, if you're going to get him, if you're going to smack people in the face on SmackDown, yeah, he's got to go over. But there's two reasons why you should even go to the length of saying, FWWE, I'm not watching anymore. One, that Kofi lives and dies on one move. This is the same Brock Lesnar who Seth Rollins put away clean twice, right? Like, you know, after multiple like finishers. I have to take down Roman Reigns. And we just saw Kofi against Randy Orton basically, like, kick out of an RKO. I mean, like, basically go the distance and survive. And one move kills him. And even if that's the length you're going, if you're saying, you know what? We're starting something new here. The Fox era starts now. Forget everything you learned in the past. Even then, to have Kofi come back and to not give him five seconds to show remorse. To not have a post-match. I, I get you can't get a post-match interview after Cain Velasquez comes out. But to not have Kofi Kingston, who just did something. That was, I mean, that was something to so many people. That's a turning point moment in the wrestling lives of so many people. I saw people crying in the damn crowd with you, Adam. And they don't even give him a chance to go, you know what? It was the greatest time of my life, it, you know, and, and it came to an end. But thank you to all the fans. Like, we changed hearts. We did things. I showed you that we can believe. No! We're going to roll them out there with pancakes. I mean, I'm going to say something, Adam, that's controversial. And not everything that happens in wrestling is a race thing. But I get why certain people would look at it as a race thing. I mean, why didn't you just bring him out with, with white face and something like horribly in the other direction racially? Because this was such a slap and insult to everything that just happened to basically be like, Kofi, you're losing in five seconds. And on top of that, go out and be our pancake juggler and act like nothing. Well, and, and we're going to overshadow your loss immediately with Cain Velasquez. So that's A. B, I could go deeper on how just delinquent this Daniel Bryan face turn is. And how what a waste of our time with the Rowan storyline and to never have it pan out. 
with Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns against each other in a big singles feud, which sells out arenas and fills marquees and makes way too much sense. And now he's faced for no reason. That's another reason to steal your heart. Shorty Gable, another reason to just go, what the hell are we doing right now? And I saw a lot of people tweeting angry saying, hey, look, if Kofi and Shorty Gable had balls and really went after the brass ring, they would have been like a 70s, 80s, and 90s wrestler and stood up to Vince. And by the way, I don't fully disagree with that. The system's effed. But you want to ask me now, then how do I feel about Tyson Fury and Kane Velasquez? Guys, it sucks. Not all of it sucked. I thought the pull-apart brawl with Tyson and Braun was pretty damn good. I thought there were moments where Tyson has been good on the mic. I love me some Tyson Fury. This week on Raw sucked. The whole thing sucks. Why? Because just like the draft, it's fake Gaga bullshit. And it's 2019. You have your chance, WWE, to not just crush the competition, but to win back audiences. Do you remember Hogan, Andre, 87, the main event, Indianapolis, Friday night, 38 million viewers watched that. We're never getting back to that. But what's the 2019 equivalent if you create a groundswell where there's a story that's so good that people need to see it? you got to have some element of real why did the Attitude Era change wrestling at a time that wrestling was dead? Because WCW comes out and presents it like it's real. Hey, I just saw Razor Ramon the other day. Why is he in the crowd at Nitro? Oh, good God, Hulk Hogan's a bad guy? And then do you know how WWE, by the way, saved their future? You remember the Montreal Screwjob? You wonder why? No, why that changed the business? Because there were elements of realism to it. Everything they've given us with Tyson Fury and Cain Velasquez has been fine. It's been 2018 SummerSlam. It's the damn dirty bed sheets all over again, guys. Guys, it's fine, but it's gaga bullshit. Nothing is real. The draft sucked. It was the fakest-ish ever. And I know anyone listening go, BC, wrestling's freaking fake. Yes, it's never going to be real, but it's a manifestation of what is real. And anything that feels real, we cling to. Why do we buy every pay-per-view fight of a real combat sport, even when they're faking that they hate each other? We cling to something that feels real, even when we know it's fake. Nothing, Adam and Jack, about what I've seen on Raw or SmackDown in the past week has felt real. It's felt like carnival gaga shit. So I'm going to completely agree with you with Tyson Fury, especially when you have him in the ring last night and you have Braun hit a gimmick table. And you have Tyson break a pen like that means anything. Right. Like so, this, this ain't Floyd Mayweather breaking Big Show's nose, which at least you're like, oh, my God, does he really do that? It's real because yeah, he legit broke. Right. Or, nose. or Austin <laughs> pushing Tyson. And you're like, dude, I don't think they were acting. I think that was real. So so I agree with that. But don't you see? I think it's poorly poor timing in WWE, just like every blood money in the sand show is. But for Fury, at least, which is one half of that, it's a one-off thing. They're not signing Tyson Fury to a long-term deal. They are creating a match for their Saudi overlords to get a bigger name on on Crown Jewel and help co-promote the ESPN slash Fox, you know, boxing, top-ranked PBC boxing match that's going to be coming to Saudi Arabia in February. So Tyson Fury, no, that's not the one, Adam, No, no, no. You got you got it mixed up there. That's not going to Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabia is Joshua Ruiz that dissolved that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But to promote their match. okay? so you have them doing this Tyson Fury thing for blood money in the sand. I hate it. I think it sucks. I think the Hogan Flair thing sucks. But I can compartmentalize that by saying every time they do something for this crown jewel pay-per-view, 
it's taking WWE in a direct, it's ruining their otherwise fair, not great, not bad storytelling. Cain Velasquez, on the other hand, they signed Cain Velasquez to a multi-year deal. And he is someone who it seems is either going to be, <coughs> excuse me, going head to head with Brock Lesnar for a period of time, heavily involved in storylines, being a full-time or at least as much as Rousey was wrestler in WWE for an extended period of time. My question for you, Brian, about Cain Velasquez is you're lumping them together. Yes. But Cain Velasquez is legit. He's a legit UFC heavyweight champion. I believe you said something to me along the lines of at his time, he was the best of all time for a UFC heavyweight. And he is someone who has legitimate credibility as the guy who defeated Brock Lesnar and can have a one, two, or maybe three match stint with Lesnar that goes up until WrestleMania and then he breaks off and has other feuds and continues wrestling in WWE. So Cain Velasquez, on its own, is that a hero? Is it a zero for you? Does he have perhaps the wrestling skill where it worked in AAA under a mask but doesn't have the charisma like even Lesnar or even Rousey to some extent does where he's going to be a flop in WWE? That's what I want to know from you about Velasquez. All right, it's creative matchmaking. I love it in that regard. I've said for weeks, I even said it last week, like, you know, uh, is Kane going to come out and Brock's going to win the title and he'll be there? He was there. And it, 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 it wasn't awful. He comes and he takes down, even though he looks a little flabby. And look, the Kane moves, love handles, not going to work. Vince, get, get the boys some candy, please. Seriously. Like, <laughs> I mean, can we, I mean, can we, can we call up, uh, uh, Zahorian? Can we please, like, make this happen? Oh, yes. I mean, seriously, do I have to play more WBF sounds? Yeah, I love a happy ending too, Bobby. Um, but Adam, I think even though it's realer than what we've seen with Fury, and by the way, what Fury is right now is just brilliant representation. You know, super agent Nick Khan sitting next to him in the crowd. Uh, he's got his hand in multiple networks. It's just really smart. If you want, like Bob Arum is involved, they realize they got this talkative six foot nine heavyweight on ESPN. Hey, let's put him on WWE like we did with Floyd in his prime. Although obviously that wasn't Aaron pulling the strings. It was uh, Al Heyman, but like, it's just brilliant. It's smart. I pretty much don't like the representation. Kane and Brock are different because they have a chance of telling it an almost quasi real story because it's a rematch of that UFC title bout. Brock got his ass kicked. Finally, we're seeing some still pictures of that bout. And I actually do. I do want to stop and say what we've seen since that press conference that I hated has been pretty strong. And Brock has been pretty great at telling this story. It may be all right. Kane can't talk for crap. They're smart to put Ray with him. They're smart to have Kane just speak Spanish angrily. Kane has no charisma. We know that from UFC. He looks like he can work. They may surprise me. Not a bad move for casual fans. Hey. Smart move for Fox, who just lost the UFC deal and now basically can put Brock and Kane out there. All that will and probably end up being good. But I watched that press conference last Friday, and I'm expecting something, and it was nothing. And it was, in some ways, WWE overall. You could have gone two ways in that press conference, right? One is old school kayfabe in your face. Remember Hogan and Andre at these press conferences sitting across from each other, Jack Tunney there, and you could have ended it in fisticuffs and you could have just been so over the top and you could have let Fury just go on the mic and be like, dude, just go. Or you could even go the other extreme if you wanted to and be real with it. And I think you could get two levels of excitement. They did the middle and they did neither at the same time. And it was ish. It was lame. It was warm water. 
and it was way too controlled and scripted like everything else in WWE, and it left me more kind of confused and angry. You tie in what's going on in Saudi Arabia, that this is all for that, and that we're going to again treat a Saudi Arabia card like it's a WrestleMania. Overall, Adam, I have no optimism for it. I kind of hate it. Well, Brian, did you heard my theory about um, Brock Kane at Crown Jewel from uh, last week's show, did, did you? Repeat it for me. But what I basically told Adam is I I think I could see this coming a mile away because I, I like like Adam just said, I think Brock Kane is going to be a multi-match program with these two. This isn't going to be one and done. Um, I think what's going to happen is they're going to get to Saudi Arabia. They're going to start the match. Kane's going to dominate Brock. Like dominate him for a few minutes. Brock's going to lose his mind. And if Kane does need that knee worked on before he gets into WWE action full time, Brock's just going to destroy his Smart, knee with a steel yes. chair, the steps. Something like that. Get disqualified and just uh, brutalize Kane's knee, and then Kane's going to go away for a little bit. And then and he'll hit. make his grand return after he gets that knee fixed up. Whatever, because it, it doesn't seem like it's anything serious. He just he needs it worked on before it's he gets into fun. a WWE yeah. schedule. Yeah. So Brock ruins his knee. We get the DQ finish, and then Brock, you know, he just goes he goes off, you know, full monster Brock, and just can't you can't stop him. And, you know, steps, chairs, everything, and Kane's just writhing in pain and. But that's probably where we're going here with Crown Jewel at the very least. And you can even do a storyline with Mysterio. You can even insert Dominic again where he helps Mysterio get not get over, like beat Brock for the title. But you can do a, a Mexican-American group, you know, with those three guys' story against Brock. Honestly, yeah, going from that. Say it with me, Adam. Say it with me. Oh, say it with me. Mex-America. Say it. Mex-America. Say it. Say Mex- it. Mex-America. Mex- 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 I th- so, I, so in that vein... You know, with you kind of lumping it all together, I do agree that there has been a lot of bad in WWE recently. But I think when you do separate it out, you mentioned Shorty Gable. Is it a good gimmick? No, it's garbage, right? But people have gotten worse over before. And Chad Gable's the type of guy where if this is what it takes to get him on TV and they have him win as Shorty Gable, which they're having him do, then that's okay. If they're actually going to push him and let him try to sell the character. Daniel Bryan face turn. I'm not going to be but, around to find out, Adam. I'm not going to be, and I and I know I'm not the only one. I'm not going to be around to find out. But the difference between me saying this on October 15th, 2019, and me saying this six months ago, nine months ago, a year ago, is it's not like WWE. You pissed me off this week, so to get back at you, I'm going to go call up NJPW World and watch a little bit and whatever. I've got AEW. I've got live NXT. I've got NWA Power. There's so many other, this is not the time to, like, look, I, I put up with a lot in the hopes that this launch would be different, and I don't know how you can watch SmackDown on Friday and Raw on Monday and just got awful presentation of a draft that was like, I couldn't fast forward through it fast enough. It was worthless. It was lame. Nothing about it felt sport-centric. It felt balloonish, and, and it, like, it's just childish crap. It's not for me. Monday and Fridays, guys, are not for us if we are discerning wrestling fans. And I think we have to come to terms with that. We put up with Alcoholic Dad for a long time, hoping that he's going to change. He ain't changing. We got to move on and move out, Adam. Let me ask you this, though, because I agree with your general thesis that the draft was crap, right? They, In their rules, they told us it was going to be sports-centric. They told us, hey, we have pools of players. We're going to have Fox and, and USA executives make picks. And they, and they didn't really so much say that as they said they will have influence over the rosters, which I actually believe. I believe that 
you know, Fox said we want X, Y, and Z. USA said we want this. And WWE did their best to appease Smart both parties. Smart idea, bad execution. The, the execution of the WWE draft was one of the worst things that WWE has ever done. The fake war rooms, Stephanie just announcing picks, no one cutting promos after being on the shows, etc. I thought Fox on Friday night was an absolutely abhorrent show. But Monday night, this is where I have to take issue with you. I loved Raw. They not forget the draft parts that were boring, okay? They drafted people to Raw that we like. They created a roster. Paul Heyman created a roster on Raw that is the best single roster a WWE brand has had since the original brand split in 2016. And what he did was with those people that we complained aren't getting TV time, aren't being featured, he featured them on the very first episode. We saw Buddy Murphy win a match. They have Ricochet, Owens, Andrade, Alistair Black, Samoa Joe, the Street Profits, all on Raw. The women's division has Lynch Flair and the Kabuki Warriors with Asuka going full. What was her name again? I'm forgetting. It begins with a K, Jack. Kyrie Singh? No, no. Wait, wait. Uh, Kana, right? Ka- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, oh, Asuka's the, yeah, Asuka I misunderstood with you. The face paint and the green mist. The Raw brand, what I saw on Monday, I was completely entertained. There were a couple down moments, but from the three-hour show, I really liked what Raw gave me, and I'm very hopeful for the future based on the roster they compiled. Now, I want to stop you there. is the exact opposite. I, I feel stop like you Smackdown, there on a couple of things. I feel, wait, hold on. I feel like SmackDown is what you say, Brian. SmackDown's not for us. SmackDown's for a casual audience with big names that Vince can promote and book his show. Raw, they gave Paul Heyman the book, and I'm actually believing in Monday Night Raw. All right, Monday Night Raw, I thought it sucked. I was not entertained. A couple moments in the matches, Viking Raiders tag team at the end had a, had some heat to it. But I thought overall it sucked. And I thought it kind of sucked hard. So this may be the line between us, Adam. Because if you watch that and we're intrigued, it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't make you a bad fan. That just may be what you like out of wrestling. For me, I felt like I was just watching something so microwaved and watered down with really no hope to do much for me. And I think even to come out here and be like, well, who won the draft? Raw's got this great... Dude, the, they presented it so friggin' poorly that I didn't care. And then on Raw to bring out a SmackDown drafted performer in Lacey Evans, someone who I am what? high on and have high potential, and inexplicably turn her into her baby face against the person she just had a heated ass feud with that actually was pretty damn good that got buried and no explanation of why they're friends and to have Natty come out on Twitter and be like, it was just one time people will never be friends again. Like what the hell? And to do a hot tag to Lacey Evans and come in hot fire baby face after you spent so much money making her into a heel. Adam, nothing matters on Monday and Friday nights. The dots don't connect. Nothing Brian. ever gets paid off. Nothing matters. And You're even p- if the production and the in-ring quality is going to ultimately be better than what AEW can do on Wednesday nights, we don't know what's going to happen every Wednesday night. And they appease and appeal to the fans. Raw, in the end, is not a serial scripted TV show that has payoffs. It's a traveling circus that we get caught into yeah, hoping and praying it will do what it used to do to us. It's not engineered to do that anymore. None of the rules make sense. None of the dots connect. And you're being fooled every single week. The Lacey Evans thing was terrible. You're right. You're picking out the literally lowest moment of the entire show to complain about. 
Brian, what you what we spent the better part of a year with you saying is I want them to take SmackDown and make it NXT WWE style with really high quality work rate and really good wrestlers and all the guys we love and complain don't get booking. And they put them all on a show. It wasn't it's not SmackDown, it's Raw. They put them all on that show. They're doing what you asked them to do, and they put Buddy Murphy and Cedric Alexander and all these guys we want to get pushed and get over on their very first episode. They're running a Street Profits OC storyline with Styles and Montez Ford jawing at each other. And you're telling me there's nothing to take away from that, that you can't like anything that happened on Raw? You're, you're, you're being like almost obtuse about it on purpose. Here's what That's I felt not like. Fair watching Monday Night Raw with the... And look, they have a gratuitous amount of talent. It was a draft show. always do, okay? They always do. But here's the equivalent. What if you tell me, hey, BC, you like the NBA? You want to see stars? I can get you tickets to the NBA All-Star practice and workout session. You can watch LeBron, James Harden, all these dudes. They're going to scrimmage. They're going to go through some drills. And you can sit there and watch it. Or... You can watch the the ACC Conference Championship in an arena where everyone's buying into their team winning and it's going to be competitive and it's going to be back and forth. That's what wrestling is right now in the WWE main roster versus everyone else, including NXT. NXT's on our side of the line right now, okay? Because it's still being presented as a competitive show that we care about and we love the storylines. Watching Raw and SmackDown because nothing ever matters. You see a title fight. On the Sunday night pay-per-view, you see the same match the next night on Raw. Nothing matters. It's like watching NBA All-Stars practice. It's a waste of our time in 2019 when we can actually get behind really great wrestling that entertains us, where the storylines make sense, and overall there's some sort of foundation and structure. Why do people not watch boxing in the UFC took off? There's no structure. Nothing matters. It's the same thing comparing a regular AEW show to basically a, a draft show that was made to showcase new talent on the show. Okay, Jack. what about the week and, before? What about the week before that? It's the same thing. It's a it's, recurring nightmare. It's more, like, it's more like an NBA regular season game against, like you said, the SEC championship. Yeah, where everyone's buying in. I agree with that in general comparison, but I don't think it's fair to say that, hey, look, they just threw this draft and threw what Paul Heyman has shown us over the very short time he's had any semblance of control. They're starting to do things on Raw. And they're starting to do things that are interesting and getting us hooked. And you're basically saying, nah, F that, because AEW exists. WWE can't be good. I'm not even going to give it the chance. I don't care that the roster's awesome. They can't be good. That's what you're saying. I think we've gotten to a point. Do you know when when there's a, a, a mother of a girl and her boyfriend, like, dude, he's just gone down the wrong road. And he hits her. And he's disrespectful. You think that mother's going to go, but you know what, man? He dresses really nice, though. And when he comes over, he helps me cook. No, you're going to get to that point where you're like, you know what? He's just bad for us. So, Adam, this may be that line in the sand moment on the history of this podcast. Where WWE proper, Raw and SmackDown, it's just not for me. It no longer is. It was a couple years ago. They had a really, I thought, 2015, which wasn't a great year. All the way through the start of 2018, there was some good things going on. Might not be for me anymore. And if it's for you, and if it's for Gentleman Jack Crosby, that's fine. I'm not sending you to hell with Kane. Not Velasquez, uh, the other guy. I just don't think it's for me anymore. It doesn't speak to me. It doesn't satisfy my wills. What I'm seeing at Monday night is a progressive change in the turn of the wrestling industry. It's under the hood of WWE. It's called NXT. It's Tuesday night with Power. It's Wednesday night with AEW. 
This might be the moment where the red and black launches and the NWO splits in half. As for me and my family, this is the house that I will serve. Real professional wrestling. Jack, what side of history are you on? I'm on letting this raw thing breathe a little bit. I, I, I do. I got to sign with it. Like I, I have, I have a, I have a, a ton of, I, I know it's weird because I, I did, I, for the first time in a long time with, with D grades, I crapped on raw last night in my general, in, in, in my general analysis of the show. But I'm, I also have a lot of optimism going forward because Vince now, his focus is on Friday nights and they'll start. I do honestly, but because when Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff were hired, Bischoff, we, we, we all agreed was a middleman. Because he's good at dealing with TV executives, and Vince is not. He's just not good at it. Eric is a genius when it comes to that stuff. We know that. Hey, he Vince feels a lot more comfortable telling Paul, "Hey," and as we saw, like when they brought Heyman in, it was okay. Paul Heyman's in charge of Rob, but Vince is still there. Then you start to hear stuff out there on the streets of, "Well, wait a minute, Vince is backing off a little bit, backing off a little bit more." Backing off a little bit more. Whoa, Paul Heyman wrote three quarters of this show. Whoa, Paul Heyman wrote this whole show. Like Vince eased him in. He wasn't even there a couple weeks. Yeah, sometimes Vince wasn't even there. And he just took, and it was Triple H and Paul Heyman with mostly Paul probably doing the creative and Triple H just giving a couple yeses and no's here and there. So I think he's at a point where he, and that's where, and I get, I'm excited because this is where Paul Heyman thrives, BC. Why did, why did why do we love ECW so much? He took the misfits and did what? And what's Buddy Murphy? Exactly. A misfit. No, exactly. Buddy what's Cedric Alexander? Bro, 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 bro. Buddy Murphy's a misfit in the eyes of, of very few people. Buddy Murphy. Yeah, but few people are the people who matter. And Paul Heyman's gonna sex. say, Screw you, watch what I do with this guy. He's exactly. gonna say, Screw you, watch what I do with him. And and also to boot now. You have Paul, you give Paul Heyman that for uh, three hours on Monday night, and for some, which this surprised me last night to no end. I was shocked. You got Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Yeah, and, and a like mini, those and a... are your two women to start to begin, and then you know he's going to take someone like Liv Morgan, who we've all clamored for. Exactly. Like let's yeah. go, Liv. So he's here's the deal. So she got little by little. Raw. You're going to see Liv start to come up. Yep. And if Adam, if you're right that Bray's getting tr- traded to Raw. Then go back and look at Liv's last ten tweets. Yeah, she might be joining the Fiend. Like this is. No, legit. Yeah, I'm not buying into that theory like everyone else. You guys can. I'm not buying into that like everyone else. Oh, well, but to Jack's point. But to Jack's point. I, this is what I wanted to clarify, and we can get off WWE because I know you badly want to talk about AEW. Okay, but Paul Heyman got to choose his commentary team. Paul Heyman chose, and you know it by the people that are on there. Alistair Black, Andrade. Obviously, there's. Once you have Zelina, you have to, have, you know, WWE keeps couples together. But Paul Heyman got his roster, okay? He got his commentary, and he's got seemingly, and I say seemingly because of Bobby Lashley, Lana, and Rusev, it's better or worse with Paul, it always is. <laughs> seemingly he's got the book. And if you're telling me it's too little too late, no, I don't believe well, that, because Raw can be very good. I agree with you, BC. SmackDown? SmackDown may not be for us as a trio, as individuals. I agree with you. And I don't want you to conflate that just because I like the WWE product. It somehow means that I don't, because I like WWE, let's say 65%, I then can't like AEW 100% or NXT 100%. That's not the case. I think what AEW and what NXT are doing is unique and different and 
something that we really need to dive into. But that doesn't mean that WWE, at least on one of its two brands, if it's truly making them different and special and separate, can't succeed. And what I've seen from Raw so far, the early stages of the Paul Heyman era, makes right. me believe they we could see, succeed. We see Heyman's touches, but it's another thing if he's given the real control on telling actual stories that aren't going to be rewritten the day of and, and confuse us and anger us and be like these matches have to matter. And I'm not talking about wins and losses and standings. It's, it's something AEW is trying. It may blow up in their face. We don't know, but just really making these matches matter and get out of the, the damn prototype that we're stuck in all the, the tropes over and over again. If they don't get out of that, Guys, the the hook is going to be shorter than normal because there's competition. And that's what makes it fun right now, but it's also what makes it frustrating because the whole idea of, well, let's wait and see. We've been waiting and see forever, and you can't just wait and see for a half hour. you got to watch three hours of Raw and two hours of SmackDown. Like it's, it's just to the point where this is a critical time. If they don't move, guys, if they don't step it up, they're going to have the, – they're giving AEW every possible chance to succeed right now, and they don't even know it. I agree with that. And I'm not saying that you're wrong that since, you know, the Fox deal, things have not necessarily been better. But you do have to remember they had a pay-per-view. They had a draft because they were splitting the roster. And they are also building for Crown Jewel in two weeks. This is WWE, as we talk about every time they have a Blood Money in the Sand pay-per-view. Stick, they did one right after Mania, so on and so forth. Sticking its foot in its mouth creatively at the worst possible time. At yeah. the same time, they're splitting the roster and trying to revitalize these brands. They're also promoting for a pay-per-view that no one in this country really actually cares about and is doing Gaga stuff with Tyson Fury and introducing Cain Velasquez. It's a mess right now. You're 100% right. But at the same time, you cannot cast a judgment of WWE's quote-unquote new era because of the last two weeks because they're just trying to get us into the brand split, which they have now accomplished. That is over. The draft is over. And they're trying to get us into this crown jewel event, which we all hate. So you have to give it. Four weeks. Given it a lot of weeks. time. Let me give you. I know you may not want to, but you have to. And BC, you're, what you transitioned into is, I think, where we need to go yeah, here. Well, one is second. That, the, you... the way that we're going to transition is by hearing from one of our people who really wants to sum up the overall feeling. Kentucky Long Rifle, what is that? An email it is. Adam, remember this guy, Tommy Wrestling, at Tommy Takeover that you've muted? Only on my account. I read him on the State of Combat all the time. Have you blocked him? Be honest. No, no, absolutely not. All right. And by the way, I mean, good dude, good, good dude, good question. What's crazy? The more you continue to feud with Bob Backlund, the more I watch his Twitter account and yours. <laughs> you guys have the same takes on everything. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't, you know, try to instigate with me, then I'd love to be friends with the guy. All right, all right, I'll, I'll relay that message. I, I, I love Bob. Here we go. Tommy Wrestling says, "BC, I'll get right to it." I said a few months ago, back. That if, hold on, Tommy, I got some problems with my computer. All right. I said a few months ago back that if WWE didn't navigate this transition period carefully, it would risk permanent damage to the brand. And man, I was right. From the moment Raw hit the air two weeks ago with an inferior commentary team, I knew I was in trouble. It escalated through the events of SmackDown on Fox Premier, culminating with Kofi jobbing out for no reason. But I kept hope alive, knowing that the draft was coming. The draft, which turned out to be a complete debacle. Now we continue down a path where nothing matters. Nothing mattered week one on Fox. The draft sucked. Now we get Blood Money in the Sand 4's build, which is focused around MMA and a Hogan Flair Survivor Series match. Then we get an abbreviated build to the actual Survivor Series, which will also suck because the last four months have devalued the brand supremacy theme completely. Bottom line, WWE has driven me 
a 35-year-old fan, and the definition of their average fan demo away from the main roster. I will no longer watch either show live. I'll watch what I need to to DVR as time permits. I will watch NXT for the meat. I will watch WCW Dynamite for the feels, and I will listen (laughs) to the state of combat for that performance-enhancing audio. Tommy Wrestling, thank you for saying what needed to be said on October 15th, 2019, and for speaking for the real fans out there. And Adam, didn't we have some rule where if Tristan Adelano DMs us during the show, we have to read it no matter what because he's our guy? Absolutely. All right. Well, he just came in there, and I know, you know, uh, do you know this guy, Jacko, Tristan Adelano, our number one fan? I actually do not. That doesn't sound, that's one for, for uh, once that doesn't sound familiar. All right. He's on our rush board. Uh, he's the to, guy. You have to do the name with, you have to do the handle with the name. Tristan Atteliano. Thank you for the up and letting me talk for a minute. All right. Here's Tristan Atteliano, as Adam would call him. He says, BC, <laughs> my man, I really hope this makes the pod. Hey, Tristan. I don't care if you take a crap. I'm going to play that on the pod, all right? BC, I've sat through the kennel (laughs) from hell match, that awful asylum cage match, and the even worse Wyatt compound match, but nothing. Not a G-damn thing has made me cringe or want to turn off my TV or laugh and then cry at how bad it was than that horrible draft war rooms they showed on Raw and SmackDown this week. It was try so hard, horribly executed, B-movie level acting, and the goddamn fox robot walking around just put it over the top. What was the gobbledygooker or the San Diego chicken doing? Were they busy? What the hell was this? BC, it's getting worse. It's like take it out behind the shed with a shotgun level worse. Am I wrong? Tell me I'm not wrong. Hey, Jack Crosby, is he wrong? Well, you know, can I point out one thing that I took away from this draft? One of the main takeaways of the draft featuring all these top superstars and all the, the network moves. You know what I took away? You know, one of the takeaways was last night for me. Apparently, Fox and USA executives do not shower nor change their clothes. Correct. Nor do they ever leave that room. What an insult to our intelligence. What? They were wearing the same clothes sitting in the same. Like, that's where it's. So that's where it was atrocious. It was. That, we got to roll through this episode. I don't actually have long to go on AEW. I know you guys broke it down last week. I loved it. Really, the only thing I have to say is I think it brought me back. Week one, I liked it a lot. I told you that. There were some concerns I had. The concerns weren't fully lifted. They're ending each show with WCW style. Like, like we're just going to throw it at the screen. I think the difference is it's really exciting and entertaining. That's ultimately the difference. Yes, we have one faction feuding against another and everyone and their mother is coming out to join in these brawls. But overall, guys, they're kicking off each show with a match that has stakes, a match that has 2019 indie level excitement to it. And when we got that Chris Jericho promo this past week, it really showed me that they get it. I don't know where we're going, but they have me hooked. They have me wanting to care. They have me believing that AEW is cool, that it has that recognition, that feel right now, and that they're going somewhere. Everything about what Chris Jericho did was brilliant. The fact that he ripped WWE creative for this uh, we are the pe- we the people gimmick. The fact that he all the little, even him saying it's a shoot, everything I loved about it, he made that inside, uh, what do they call it, inner circle faction to yeah. me feel way cooler than 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 the individual uh sum of each part i'm telling you they're getting it they're not there yet but they're getting the direction that they need to go and again they have the right horses and it's not all gaga bs and i know everyone's going to counter that with saying there's a damn dinosaur yeah but that dinosaur wrestles hard it's still like he's going after to win the match there's room and 
any pro wrestling for a little bit of drama and theatrics there. But it's the tone. The tone is that what matters. They got to open up the microphones more, let more people do what Jericho just did. I know that's hard to say. Jericho is an absolute friggin' legend at what he does. But you got to be a little bit more real. You got to be edgy. You got to take chances. They're going somewhere. I would really like for them to make Kenny Omega and Dean Ambrose, John Moxley feel individually special rather than constantly throwing them into these larger group things that are going on. But we're going somewhere. Well, yeah, was- last week's show, I, Adam, I offered up a public apology on the show last week. Where back when we were for, before, right at AEW's inception, I told you guys on the show, I said, putting Chris Jericho at the top of the card isn't a good idea. Have him just be the veteran hand. I was wrong. I was completely wrong. This world champion top role is perfect for him. Then you give him a faction, which is what a faction in in every sense of the term, what it's supposed to be. You have the established former WWE champion in Hager, like him or not. That's what he is. He's a former world champion. You have him standing behind Jericho. Someone like Sammy Guevara, who's only going to benefit as a single star from being aligned with Jericho. Santana and Ortiz, one of the best tag teams in the world that more people need to know about. Jericho's going to make sure you get to know about them. And then he's doing stuff like tomorrow night in Philly with this Philadelphia street fight with Darby Allen, yes. who Adam and I both said, maybe you agree. There's a, that's a top star in the making for AEW. Darby. People are only going to fall WWE. more and more in love with him. I, I called him. I, I told Adam last week. Darby Allen is Jeff Hardy without the issues. Right. That's be. what he's going to be. Dy- for he has that dynamic, fresh feel that it, the w- one thing I think you can agree on WWE, even you know, everyone starts to look and taste the same to a certain degree mm-hmm. with the stage and Jer- entrances and all that. And Jericho knows what he's doing. Like he, the guy, I, I knew he was smart, even though I didn't think it was a good idea previously, but like he announces yesterday, like for this street fight, he's not coming as Chris Jericho, AEW world champion. He announces on Instagram, I'm coming to fight Darby Allen as the pain maker from New Japan. I'm bringing the pain maker to AEW for the first time. Love Meaning it. Jericho knows I can't go in and chain wrestle this dude, especially in Philadelphia. That ain't going to work, and especially on TV. So I'm going to come in and we're going to brawl all over that place. And I'm just going like, to like the matches he had in, in New Japan. They're going to be sloppy. They're going to be all over the place. But he's going to do a good job of making them interesting. Adam, do you feel like they are putting together a little bit? of ECW, a little bit of WCW, and a little bit of Attitude Era WWE, and that's how they're going to end up winning us over? That's exactly what it is. AEW is learning, like you said, what they are, and they're allowing the performers, by virtue of not having scripts and not concentrating so heavily on promos and storytelling outside of the ring, there needs to be more, but not the WWE-level amount. By virtue of doing that, they're allowing the performers to get across who they are and what they are. And they're letting people shine where they shine. Chris Jericho, Moxley on the mic, even Omega and Pac on the mic when they had Pac sitting with commentary during the show that worked out great. And they're hiding the flaws of people that legitimately have them. Hager, he should not say a single solitary (laughs) word when he can have Chris Jericho saying all of them for him, right? But well, at the same Adam, time, can he unless, not drugged up, Unless though? he's going to say this. You know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. I got a phoner. If he's got a phoner, I want to hear about it. Okay? That's, that's a fair exception. But even Jericho, and I did believe it was a bit hypocritical with the fans. And I don't want to relitigate it, but the fans were chanting We the People, which proves it was over, and Hager's been <laughs> using it his entire MMA career. And then Jericho... Because he was losing, it was more about him losing the crowd than crapping on WWE saying, 
yeah, that sucked. I'm a, I'm a heel. Let's keep let's keep going where I'm going. Right. Brought the crowd back with him. You there's only I don't know four guys who can do that. Jericho happens to be one. Cena's one. The Rock. There are very few who are so great on the microphone, knowing their character, knowing their persona, that they can do what Chris Jericho is doing. And one of the reasons AEW is so successful so quickly is because not only he's, is he with them, he's at the top. If they had put the title on page like the fans wanted, can I apologize AEW for something? would not nearly be what they are now from a storytelling perspective. Adam, we've learned a lesson on here on what to do in certain ind- indications. Take the L and admit... And admit you're wrong, because you sound ridiculous. I'm going to take the L. I'm going to apologize for ever thinking Hangman Page should have been their first world champion. To ever think that going a little bit younger and building on the future was ever strong. Apologize, you son of a bitch! I'm sorry. Adam was right. I was wrong. And I think you, I... Na- you nailed it with the, uns- the the non-scriptness overall makes you care about each performer, even ones you don't necessarily believe in, on such a higher level than what WWE is doing. Now, let me pose this to you also, because I asked Jack, and I want to get your take as well. One of the reasons I believe AEW is so successful, and and you know I've said this from the very, very beginning, is the fans. Mm -hmm. They make the fans feel like it's their promotion, which it's not. It's Tony Khan's promotion. uh, But they make the fans feel like it's their promotion because they cater to them a bit, and they tell better stories, and, and they give you more realistic angles. All that's fair and good. Is it fair, Brian? To say that when watching AEW on Wednesday, the fans and the crowd reaction made the show and the matches feel better and appear better than they actually were. I am. I want to clarify. I am not saying the matches were bad. They weren't. They were very good. I'm not saying the storytelling was bad. It wasn't. It was very good in most aspects. But the crowd goes crazy for a tope suicida, where in WWE, when Seth Rollins does a tope suicida, it's... The, the crowd is not as bought into the WWE product as the AEW crowd is. And to me, that is making it feel 100%. better critically than it actually is. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It just makes it feel like a nine well, it, when it's maybe a seven. It raises the, the stakes a lot. And the reason why people don't do that in WWE is because we see the same tope right. from every person in the same spot in every match. But yes, you're right. And that's the same argument and debate we would make in 2015 and 2016 about why NXT is different than the main roster. It's such a supportive overall feel that you could get the Ascension over. You could get the Vaude Villains over because people wanted to believe in those gimmicks and love on them so much because, and I've said this so many times, they had the trust that the booking would always make sense and that we'd always be going somewhere in every indication and that everyone is being put forth in the most coolest, best foot forward, you know, slot and presentation that they possibly could, which is something that, we regularly have a problem with WWE. You're right. And what AEW has created because of that, Adam, is an urgency to these matches that make mm-hmm. them feel like they are championship matches and that naturally gets you to care about who's winning. Right now, the formula's great. Keep it going. We can't be here for another two hours. We got five minutes left. I got something I want to bring up that was awesome. Adam, is there anything that we didn't hit that you wanted to hit this week that's that's huge? No, I just wanted to ask your opinion on NXT, Leo Rush winning the Cruiserweight title, and the Walter Kushida match at the end of the show. I think overall, you kind of nailed it when I asked you last Thursday's show, you know, was NXT great? And you're like, well, it didn't win the war against AEW this week, but it was certainly solid. I went back and watched that, loved the Leo Rush turn. 
that Walter Kashida match. I mean, there's just moments. There's just damn moments that I loved. They don't have the formula down yet like AEW does. A lot of the reasons, I think, is that arena. I think everyone's coming to terms that they're right. Same crowd all the time is making it yeah. to be a little bit boring. I didn't think it would look minor league with the, with the lights down where you focus on the wrestling. But you notice the difference between where, where NWA Power is putting out guys that are, like, not ready for prime time in 2019 wrestlers. And yet I care so much. Bright lights. It's the same sort of thing. It's just different. I think you do have to step up to higher arenas. I think you, you have to travel. And, yeah, yeah, all, all to that. Um, I still love NXT. I still think that the, there's potential for them to be even better than AEW. God, they have horses there. So just just, just change up some of the – you know, edge out some of the outsides without having Vince coming in and give it the wrong type of makeover that we all think is coming. All right. Now, Jack, did you want to uh, say something there? I'm sorry. No, actually, BC touched – I was going to follow up my question with what you and I talked – spoke about last week about – BC, I, I – I even admitted to Adam, I said it, it, I know people might get on me about this, but when I turn from TNT to USA, the difference really hurts me a bit when I'm trying to watch NXT. Like I just watched this WCW Nitro like promotion and then I'm going to watch their quote unquote competitor and it does come off as minor league. And that affects my viewer that, that affects my viewing a little bit, but now I know like you, you're about the same. Well, it, don't forget Jack. It's also what we said, which is, AEW is closer to WWE than NXT is. NXT, if you, oh, yeah. if you look at the two shows, NXT is the one that's different. AEW is an alternative. Yeah, th- th- and, th- and that's true. But, I mean, for right now, the narrative is that the Wednesday Night Wars, it's what it is, you know, for better or worse. So, yeah, like I, when I'm watching one show and I go to the other and I just watch this major league production and then I kind of got full, like I said, the same people, nice people. I've met some of them, actually. Nice people, but I see their faces every week, and it's like, all right, and it's like some other town. And it goes back to that Kevin Owens promo he cut a few years ago when he was still in NXT, and he told the crowd in full sail. He's like, you know, you sit here, you chant NXT, you want this thing to be successful, yet when we leave, you cry about it. Right. And he was, you know, the great heel promo. There was truth in what he was saying. But I would say January 2020, they got to get out of there. I think so. I think so. Um, I wanted to close with uh, many of our great listeners, including Bob Backlund at TalkBox. We're like, bro, stop what you're doing. Call up NJPW's, what was it, King of Power? I don't know what the show was called yesterday on Monday morning. King of Pro Wrestling, was it? It's good. They're like, you got to watch Liger versus yes. Suzuki. I, I was feel spot penetrated. I'm not going to go to the level of five-star like some people were. It certainly wasn't. But you have two guys a combined age of over 100 who just went out there and told a damn story. Guys, it's the purest form of what this is. Um, NJPW typically nails those video screen montages coming in. If you don't have the time, if you don't even care, please do me the solid. If you have the subscription, go to NJPW World, call up the October 14th broadcast, and just watch the three-minute video that led into that match that showed you the lead-up of Suzuki unmasking Liger, of all the nastiness that went on. I mean, this is how you build a storyline. I mean, did you guys see this Great. match? It was just old school. There was some Anoki, uh, Muhammad Ali sort of, you know, playoffs and some of the moments there, the reversals, the anger, the, the stiffness. Thank you to those two old warriors for showing us that they can still do it in 2019. They can still set trends. Don't you love that old is new again? What did we do the last 15 years? Complain that wrestling's <laughs> well, not what it used to well, be. It's coming back. Well, Speaking of Liger, nobody, nobody, please tell Ric Flair that Tatsumi Fujinami is coming out of retirement to team oh, with Liger. God. 
Please, no, nobody dude, tell Flair those that. Japanese guys, he's like, gonna get they some linger. ideas in his head. These Japanese legends linger. They'll keep going. And Fujinami, he, no, Flair will be getting ideas in his yes. head. He's gonna have flashbacks. He's got no, no, no. Anybody coming out of retirement, but Fujinami. There were some news and notes coming out of that. So Liger's on his retirement tour, right? Yes. Amber, Ambrose, John Moxley, I should say, didn't make his U.S. title match, the heavily anticipated one with Juice Robinson due to a typhoon. And then coming out of King of Pro Wrestling, Okada announced yeah. to defend the IWGP Heavyweight Championship on both nights of Wrestle Kingdom. Because it's a two-night show this year, BC. And the first night is obviously against the briefcase winner, uh, Kota Abushi, Abushi Kota. I mean, last thing I got to say before we leave, just because you brought it up, I, I think we got the wrestling meme of the year. I don't know if you guys saw it when Okada defeated um, Sonata and Sonata was crying in the middle of the ring and Okada with the belt around his waist just looks at him, smiles and gives a thumbs up as the <laughs> dude is sobbing on his knees. I, lo- I love Okada, so, but he just smiled and gave him a thumbs up. It's, gr- oh, it's great. Okada's the best and us and the wrestling world Losing, and I've said this to BC before, Jack, you may not have heard them. Losing being the elite promoting New Japan, which did. That really got them the American audience. It has completely taken me away from like the day-to-day machinations of New Japan and what's happening. There is is some good stuff going on there. The Okada-Ibushi rivalry seems really cool. I'm excited to watch King of Pro Wrestling. Him defending the title in back-to-back nights I think is an awesome development. It's totally unique and new. And their promos that they went back and forth with, I did get to see Okada and Ibushi. Ibushi basically just saying, you're the best in the world. I totally respect you. But I also want to be like the first guy to hold both titles. And I think I can do it. And I know I can beat Uh, you. But Okada's already planning to have another title defense the next night. It's just so damn cool. Um, You know, NJPW, it's tough to for them to hit us. But I think they have the opportunity once again coming up in January. Yeah, and by the way, they stripped Ambrose and put the belt on Lance Archer. They stripped him of his U.S. title. Great idea, by the way. Um, Great. Love the new here's champion. Here's what I need Love in it. 2020. I need Kenny Omega. He's he's what got he's what got a lot of us into NGPW. We're going to get uh, Jericho Tanahashi. I need Kenny Omega to, to do some dates, to do the big ones for NJPW. I need them to work on that relationship. I need them to figure it out. Um, I re- I'm not going to speculate. I really would love to know what the holdup is between AEW and New Japan. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not gonna, but it, there's something. I wish I could get in there and be a fly on the wall and figure out what's actually holding this well, up. They, I mean, they have, they have a legitimate right. relationship with Ring of Honor. <laughs> yeah, but dude, they're dead. They, 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 they do. Right, when it, when it, we got to find out when that ends, though. We got to move. They got to move on. We got to move on because, um, like AW to their detriment has under promoted Kenny Omega, but it's allowed other people to get the spotlight and go because like Omega's a vice president or whatever the hell they're calling themselves there, and he knows he doesn't have to push himself like crazy. He wants to see this work. It's kind yeah. of the perfect time if they can make it all work. I mean, like for us as selfish wrestling fans. <laughs> Good God, imagine if you had Kenny Omega week to week on AEW, yet he's still doing Wrestle Kingdom. He's still doing the the Dominion, and he's doing a couple here and there just to just to stay in those yeah. storylines. Well, well, just to clarify for our listeners, Omega can work in NJPW. Right. They there's, aren't there's calling him. He has that in his contract, just like Jericho does, just like Moxley does. So I, I do think there's two different things. There's one, getting those guys over there, those three guys, which certainly helps prom- promote AEW overseas, but also gives – you know, New Japan, three great uh, North Americans, I don't want to say Americans, uh, yeah. that they can latch onto that will get us to watch their product. Um, but they can have that without a full-on fledged relationship between the two brands. If they ever do that, holy cow. Now yeah. we're talking completely next level stuff with AEW 
maybe being like an American branch of them. That's that's different level. Last thing on the way out, Jack, I know we talked about it. Brian, I don't know if you heard it. I really popped one for the War Raiders winning the title. I mean, the uh, quote-unquote Viking Raiders winning the title. But the post-match promo, that was cool. which was very old-school WWE, and them referencing being the IWGP and Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, that was my feel spot. I just thought it was it was surprising, shocking, and very good. Right hey, I saw someone joke on Twitter, and you know what? Maybe it's true. Like they said, Vince took the headset off, looked at Heyman, and said, Paul, pause, pause. What the hell is a Ring of Honor? <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what? There's a there's a good chance Vince has no idea what ROH is, and probably did say no. That that was good, but you got to in 2019. You you don't have to push that envelope too hard. But just what they did, just mention something in passing, like, yeah, hey, we've collected well, we, titles. I got to mention in passing that we got to end the show, or you guys can have a spinoff podcast every Tuesday and go long on this. But I run the show. I run this show around here, not you, Jack. Uh, follow us at State of Combat. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh, Jack and Adam for hanging on the podcast while I was away in Jamaica right near the Beach Boy indeed. Uh, look, hit us up this week. We got a big boxing return on Thursday. Wednesday's the MMA. Rashad Evans, Brandon Wise coming at you. UFC Tampa recap and all that and then some tall, pale and handsome. It's your boy BC and pretty soon we out but not just let me remind you. I know you want pay-per-view rewind to make a comeback and it will. Don't forget that time we rewound. Kota Bushi. And TJP from the 2016 Cruiserweight Classic. Wow. Love it. The interview's over. And I got two words for you. We out.